by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. The weather is finally wintertime here, and we brought Janet uh, Millick from Wyoming Game and Fish Department in. And Janet, I know that uh, you and and all of your family have been trying to be outdoors as much as possible, but this weekend that we're on now has been the first real weekend of extreme weather that we've had in 2024 and, and uh, late 2023. You know, that's right, Drew. It has been a wonderful fall and beginning of winter outdoors. We've talked a lot about the advantages of that and the disadvantages. But boy, winter came swinging into uh, us here in Casper over the last you know week. We had those couple days of horrendous winds and you know minus zero wind chills, which you know brings you inside pretty quickly. That's for sure. But it's exciting because we're starting to see more ice forming on our reservoirs around Casper. Yeah, I know that Boysen has had ice on it for quite a little while and has good ice, but uh, some of the ones directly here, like Glendo and Pathfinder and Alcova, those aren't uh, with a lot of ice on it. That's right. Things have always been um, a little bit dicey so far this year, and we've really been issuing a lot of caution to folks to, um, you know, make sure you're making good choices when you get out there. And that's why we have Jeff Glade here with us. He's our Casper Region Fisheries Biologist, along with Nick and Matt. And um, they he's here to tell us a little bit about some ice safety stuff, as well as what anglers might expect. Yeah, Jeff, uh, we appreciate you coming on and Let's talk real quick about, you know, some of the ice and, and how it is at, say, Glendo and, and Pathfinder and, and Alcova at this point. Yeah, so right now we've gotten some reports in that Glendo's been freezing over pretty well and the tournament should have had a good weekend here. Um, but everybody should be cautious to be safe. Uh, when ice forms really quick, like it would have done over this really hard cold snap, it can create pressure ridges pretty pretty aggressively because the top layer freezes faster than the bottom and then it starts to move around after that gets uh, gets frozen. Alcova still doesn't have very much in the way of good ice. Some of the back bays will be frozen, but we always re- recommend a high degree of caution on Alcova out in that middle part where there's a lot of flow influence as the river leaves that canyon. And in addition this year, um, they're doing some maintenance at Alcova, so there'll be some drawdown. And so the lake will be fluctuating. And when that happens, we all kind of know, you know, you can think about if you have a frozen sink and you drain it, what's going to happen to that ice? It's going to break away from the shore and it might not be um, nearly safe to kind of get out into some of those deeper areas. So just remember that, that even if it appears solid on Alcova, it may be hollow underneath. You you just want to make sure that you're watching pretty close. And really being safe anywhere, even somewhere like Pathfinder, that is known to have good ice at a, a lot of times. Over the last couple of years, there have been issues where uh, rescue services had had to go and, and save people because the ice have broken off. Yeah, and that's a function of those pressure ridges. You know, sometimes you'll have ice that even if you test four or four more inches thick on the way out and you're safe to walk on it, you stay out there all day and the midday sun starts to warm up. Those pressure ridges can let go of each other and kind of allow an entire ice flow to 
move off. So it's just important to keep conscious of where you are and how thick the ice is and what the conditions are changing to. When someone's walking out on the ice for the first time, I say you arrive at Pathfinder and you're the first one there. What are the best ways to go about checking the ice in the areas that you would like to go? You know, one of the things we recommend, especially, is to don't go alone. Because um, if something would happen, you're stuck out there, you're by yourself, it's, it's a lot more difficult. But using something like a spud bar or an iron, an iron bar that you can kind of tap your way out like a walking stick, make sure it's not going through. Drilling holes every 10 to 15 yards, if, if you can, wouldn't be a bad way to go about it because the ice conditions can be really thick in certain shallow spots and much thinner if you get some kind of like an upwelling or a spring. Uh, and then just being kind of cognizant of where pressure ridges are forming or are located. They'll, they'll look like upheaves that collect snow drifts uh, into them. So, and really visual checks and then, you know, checks on the ice and what color ice should you look for? Because I know that there's good ice and there's bad ice and, and color can really be a visual. And, you know, um, Drew, that is always to me something that's super counterintuitive. When I see clear ice, like I get heart palpitations, right? Because you can kind of see under it. It's like, oh, it's not very thick. It kind of stresses me out. And that is actually the safest ice. So clear ice is safer than cloudy ice, which you can imagine has been, you know, maybe frozen and thawed or um, frozen in separate layers, may have air pockets in it. And so, you know, if you're walking on solid white, it is not as safe as just a couple inches of clear ice. So keep that in mind. And, you know, here at the Game and Fish Department, we recommend a minimum of two, but four is so much better. Um, so go for the four, don't go with the two, but that's just our opinion. And, you know, everybody has their own um, safety net that they want to go with. And so make sure that, um, you know, you're just being safe out there. So if you are the, the first person going out and obviously encouragement of a buddy system, uh, smart to keep one buddy on land and let the other go out and kind of check the ice so that someone has a rope and can pull back? Yeah, to go out. You know, if you're not going to keep somebody on shore, if you're going quite a ways, at least keep some separation so you don't fall into the same hole together. Right. Good point there, too. Exactly. So, you know, go ahead, Drew. No, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the things that, you know, we're talking about is a lot of this. Um, is on reservoirs and lakes, right? So the thing that we never, ever, ever recommend is going out on the river, right? That is some dangerous stuff. There's so many currents. Um, and here lately starting, you know, midweek last week when we had those, those great winds, the river started freezing up. And so everyone was starting to get excited, like, oh, this must be what's happening on the reservoirs. But just keep in mind that just like, you know, Jeff talks about, you know, these pockets, the currents, all those things, the the river is and will always be, should be a no-go, off limits, don't go. Yeah, and we've talked about that a little bit before, so it's almost the same way as Alcova, where that river is constantly flowing, and it may look frozen solid on top, but it's underneath where it could be very slushy and, and you, know, you could fall through easily. Absolutely. And, you know, Jeff was telling me just was it just yesterday um, that he had seen 
some social media about an accident that happened in Russia, even that, you know, someone had fallen through the river and got trapped under the ice. And, and it is, it's, it's scary and dicey. And so huge warning. And, and, you know, um, there are always lots of incidents that happen where, you know, a dog goes out um, or maybe your cat. And so you want to be very, very careful about that because of course you want to be helpful you want to go out and, and get your dog to a better situation, which can sometimes lead to um, dangerous situations. That goes the same for a reservoir, too. If you have your dog with you and your dog has fallen through, there's a good chance that IFA is not going to be safe for you to go on. So you going out to you know try to retrieve that dog could end up both of you being in and, and not a good situation. Oh, for sure. And, you know, one thing is that you can change the distribution of your weight. The one thing that say, if you ever are out on the ice and you find yourself it was thick and now you're in a spot that it's a little too thin and it's cracking or popping under your feet. The best option you have at that time is to lay down and spread yourself out kind of like a starfish. Cause it's kind of like the difference between standing on a nail or laying on a bed of nails. Like you've distributed your weight. You're not putting all your, your force on one little spot. Drew, when I come and see you and you're laying like a starfish out on the ice, I know you need help. So <laughs> I'll be there. For you. Well, yeah. thank you, Jen. I'm, I'm glad that you, you got my back, and at least yeah, that yeah. time anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the starfish is what I'll be looking for, though. Exactly. Don't don't do anything else. I won't help you then. It might sound ridiculous, but no, it's, it's, it's not. just it's physics. absolutely perfect. Well, let's stick with this. And, and let's say the the worst case scenario, someone falls in and it's, you know, you're the first person on scene. How should you go about approaching the ice and what should you do once you find the person that you're looking for? You know, it's kind of similar to how they say on an airplane where like you put your mask on before you help the people around you. Like you should certainly still be making sure that you're safe. Like I know time is of the essence, but you need to still be checking the ice, like have your spud bar, tap your way out and find the farthest distance you can get out there. At that same time, you should have people trying to be on the phone or, yeah, get a hold of emergency rescue services and the sheriff. Um, and then from that point, throw your have your throwable rope or a life jacket. If they're not wearing one, throw your life jacket to them if you're on a safe piece of ice and just try to keep them buoyed up so that hypothermia doesn't allow them to, to sink. Because that's really what, what will happen is your body will just give out after a, an amount of time being that cold and overworking and, and go down. And once you get under that ice, it's hard to find your way back out. And then let's say the positive, you, you're able to retrieve the person and get them out on the ice. Then what are the steps of your, that you should do next? Yeah. So the, the first one would be to actually remove them from the wet clothes. Wetted clothes take an enormous amount of energy out of the body uh, to try to heat up. So, you know, it might be embarrassing or, or not, but like with life or death situation, just remove all of the clothes of the person, try to get them as dry as possible, and then try to find them shelter like inside of a vehicle that you can then turn on and, and heat up. And if their core temperature is down, the best thing is to try to get them like some hot coffee or hot chocolate or something like that, just to warm up from the core, core out. Well, it's a, it's a scary thought and one that I know mothers and fathers, and just like Janet said, is one that really is a concern for so many people. 
It is, and Jeff mentioned it, but I really want to reiterate that emergency services is, is very important at this, whether it is for rescue efforts or whether it is for health efforts at that time, right? Game and fish is not your go-to, so, so don't be looking to us for help in that situation. Um, I know that um, already, you know, this year we've had some incidences where they've been called out and, and had to work with people and, and it turned out to be a safe situation, so everything was okay. But, um, you know, everyone will respond, everyone will be there and we'll be, you know, be there to do what we can. And at this point, I want to remind folks of Backcountry SOS, which is an app that you can have on your phone. And if you can go online and see all of the locations, um, the counties that will be able to respond. And so if you're at places like Alcoba, you can text 911. So even if you can't have enough cell service to call out, you can text out and it will send them a pin of where you're located and you can just say something like fallen through ice, hypothermic, and people will know, okay, here's what we need to do to respond. And, and so keep those things in mind. You know, we're here to help and um, just let folks know. Safety first. And there's a lot of uh, ice fishing derbies and tournaments coming up over the next few, a couple of months. So, uh, being safe on the ice is the number one thing. And Jeff and Janet, we appreciate it. Thanks, Drew. We appreciate you. And don't forget what the wind will do to ice. We do live in Cass. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Drew along with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And Brian, it's uh, the cold is finally here. And uh, there's a little bit of ice on a, a lot of the area uh, reservoirs. So things are looking winter-like. Uh, yeah, we are definitely uh, building ice on a day like today. I am telling you what, what are we talking? Negative <laughs> uh, 20, I think, and that's before wind chill. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be like negative 40, maybe, something like that. I don't know. We're not quite to uh, Godzilla like, being able to walk on the ice <laughs> yeah. yet, but a few more days of this, and we're going to get there. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking with Game and Fish a little bit earlier about, you know, the importance of safety uh, with ice fishing and, and things like that. And you were chatting about the Glendo ice, where. Uh, Glendo in some areas will have good ice and some areas that will have not good ice, but the edges are always kind of sketchy anyway. Yeah, you know, with um, uh, Glendo pretty much constantly rising up uh, elevation-wise throughout, throughout the winter, um, as, that, as that water ra- rises, the ice just kind of pulls away from that shoreline because the shoreline expands out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty common for those people that have, you know, fished it on a regular basis that, you know, a good set of planks to get out to the ice. <laughs> you know, usually once you're on that ice, it's pretty good. But, you know, it was only a week ago that we had open water out there. And, um, you know, Reno uh, Cove, uh, there was water, open water out on that. And then there was uh, quite a few spots down by the dam that still had open water. So guys really got to be cautious out there, with, um, especially with getting a little bit of snow over the top of that ice. Uh, you don't know how thick it is. And so certainly don't be driving side-by-sides across that right. ice thinking you're going to zip across to the, uh, you know, the opposite side of the lake without any problems. Um, you know, it, has, it hasn't been that long ago that there was a couple deaths out there. Uh, they were taping an in-fisherman show, and uh, they, they had parked over by Reno boat ramp and going over to Sandy Beach area and hit that point across Reno, and um, a couple guys lost their lives through there. 
Yeah, so it's very, very, very important to make sure that you have all the safety gear first that you may need. You know, you, you need to have that extra change of clothes and and uh, and know what to do when you, if you do, or God forbid you do, fall in mm-hmm. what you what you do. And and you know, there are all kinds of tools that you can take with you and even carry around your neck to to help you get through. Yeah, those uh, safety picks or ice picks, you know, that uh, usually clip to your jacket or you know, go around your neck. Uh, a good throw rope or a rope with a, a, a throw cushion, uh, life jacket, you know, have a sled. What, what, you know, there's a lot of just basic tools that a guy can bring uh, just to, to add a little bit more safety to their weekend. Well, you know, we, we talk about ice fishing a lot, and this weekend was the, the first Glendo, the icebreaker that, uh, that happened. And then we have uh, Boysen coming up in a couple of weeks, and, and then it's the Hog Derby, and I think there's one up at Keyhole, and, and uh, Desmet, I think, even has one. Yeah, Boysen's just next weekend. And um, actually, I've heard some uh, pretty good reports over there. The, the bays have a lot of good solid ice in, in most cases up to 14 15 16 inches and there's probably even more uh, after this last week of cold so um boys and ought to be a, a good safe bet for most people and then uh two weeks later that uh, first weekend in uh february is the hog derby out there at pathfinder and i've heard pathfinder ice is uh, is pretty good at this point too well i've heard there's they've got good ice in the marina area and then i heard sweetwater arm was pretty good but you know, that's another lake you got to be real cautious about. This seems like there's just some warm water pockets that kind of just pop up. Um, so, you know, a guy just needs to be cautious. We haven't been out hunting as much. It seems like everything has been going on a lot since, uh, you know, duck and goose season came back in. But there's only a week or so left of duck season and maybe a month of, of goose. And this cold weather, are we going to see some, some birds fly in? Well, I've already been noticing quite a few migrating geese coming through the area. Now, whether or not they stick around and stay, um, hard to say. But uh, it's pretty cold up in Montana right now. And uh, depending on, you know, really how uh, the Yellowstone turned out this week, I mean, they were already starting to get some ice up there. And once that Yellowstone River freezes up, those geese are looking for open water and they just keep going south. So, you know, fortunately for us, you know, the North Platte has quite a few stretches of open water, so it'll hold birds. Uh, Wheatland always tends to hold birds down the power plant with the warm water discharge they have down there. And a lot of people that I know that are down in that uh, Colorado area, I mean, they've had birds all, you know, all along. So um, hopefully we get a few more sticking around. We did see a, a little bit of a push of ducks for sure. Uh, we finally found some, uh, got some big birds, like some uh, the good mallard, mallards and pintails, those kind of birds. A few widgeons came through. Um, so hopefully, you know, for us in this Natrona County area, um, our duck season closes on the 23rd. So hopefully we get a few more good days yeah. of duck hunting, and uh, hopefully we get some geese to stick around as well. Boy, it just it's going so fast. I, I don't know. It just seems like it was yesterday we were out doing our elk hunt. But, yeah. I mean, that was three months ago almost. Yeah, it, it does seem like yesterday. Gosh, it, absolutely <laughs> crazy. And yeah. I, I uh, was in uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I bought the, the limb dehydrator, mm-hmm. which was awesome, which was great for, for my first batch of elk jerky. Awesome. And uh, it didn't make it very far. I I'd have brought you some, but uh, some of the the spices and the cure and the kit you guys have for that. You know, this time of year, guys are getting their animals back and and starting to work on that meat. Yeah, you know it's cold outside, so this is a, this is a great opportunity. Just you know, 
uh, keep the wife happy, stay home, you know, for the weekend, and, and uh, you know, watch watch a few Hallmark movies with her, and, and, and do your do your jerky. <laughs> that, that, you don't have to give up your man card when you're making jerky. You just don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> well, you won't catch me doing that, wink, wink, nuts, not this weekend. But <laughs> you know what I mean. Check everything out at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Make sure, again, that you come in before you head out on that ice and, and get everything that you need, you know, the safety equipment and, and the warmth equipment, too, because you don't want to get out there and be unprepared. Absolutely. And we're not uh, selling the tickets to the Boys and Derby here. Um, you can get them at the marina and in Boys and also B&K Shoreline and uh, possibly our Rocky Mountain in uh, Riverton. But uh, we definitely have statewide minnows, so, you know, as you're getting ready to head over there, uh, come by, stock up on your minnows for the week, and uh, have, a good, have a good trip. Yep, get out of here and check them out, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. We're back on the program. Thank you so much. My name is Drew, and you can go follow along in our station's app and listen to any of the episodes that you have missed throughout uh, the last couple of years. And one of the guests that we've had on quite a bit because we uh, stand behind the Mule Deer Foundation is uh, the Wyoming Regional Director of the Mule Deer Foundation, Sean Blazak. And Sean, it's getting to be that time of year. We talked to you a little bit before Christmas, but now we're full on banquet season. Yeah, we sure are. There's banquets going on around all over the state now and, you know, we're just getting going and making sure we can make some money so we can help mule deer this coming year. So we have talked uh, in the in the past when we talked in December that some big projects happened in 2023 and that 2024 there's a lot of uh, plans on the table. Obviously there are you know, weather conditions and, and situations that could come up that could deter that. But uh, some of the things on the table are, are pretty strong. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So, like, for example, this last year we put just over $100,000 into a road crossing down near Kemmer to help, you know, deter those wildlife vehicle collisions. And that way we can help people out and also help deer out down there. So. That'll be a great project, and we have a lot of partners on that one, including the federal government funded a great deal of that one. So projects like those are coming up. We also have a bunch of different habitat projects, fencing projects, different things. Um, we did get another um, biologist in the state, so they'll, they'll be able to help out with stuff, mostly with federal funding. So, you know, the money we raise at banquets we can use for on-the-ground projects. And that's the the fun part about the conservation groups like Mule Deer Foundation is uh, it's donations and volunteering. That's really the backbone of what keeps these organizations helping out the wildlife throughout the state. Yeah, definitely. Volunteers are our number one thing at Mule Deer Foundation. That's who keeps us going. That's what we are as a volunteer organization. And those volunteers are the ones who raise the money through donations and banquets and such. So, you know, those people who truly care about mule deer and come out and help us either at a banquet or another event or out at a project during the summer are the ones who help us get the money on the ground. And if you don't have time to volunteer, you can always just show up to those events and donate some of your hard-earned money to us so we can get that on the ground. So yeah, there's and, always options to help out mule deer. And that's the another great part is all that money that is donated and purchased, things that are purchased at these banquets goes back into the foundation so that 
the mule deer situation that has been de- declining over the last you know few years. Hopefully, we can you know work enough to have that remerge and and be a strong herd throughout Wyoming. And and how do you, would you say at this point? the mule deer herds throughout the state are doing? So overall, they're doing all right. And that corner of the state really got hammered last year. So anywhere south of Jackson to Rock Springs and over on I-80 to about almost Laramie got pretty hammered. So those populations um, took it pretty hard. But if we get good, you know, forage on the ground, good habitat, they'll rebound. Um, you know, it does take years to rebound from something like that, but as long as we can keep that habitat good, those animals should rebound pretty readily. And of course, you can see this winter is not very hard on them so far. And hopefully, we'll get some moisture because we do need it, but we don't want it like last year. We just don't want it to make it so it's, you know, overbearing for wildlife and we lose a bunch again. So, and then that's where all of the banquets come in so that we can make sure that that happens. And the first one of the year is actually here in Casper. On the 27th of January, it's out at the hangar, and you still have tickets and tables available. Yeah, we do. It's going to be a fun event. We always do a good event out there. It's pretty busy, so make sure you get your tickets early. There are still some banquet sponsor tables left. Those are for those folks that really have you know, some extra funds and want to put money on the ground. That actually comes with a conservation partnership where you get to help direct the money. Um, and then we also have some of our lower tables and one of them actually includes a custom weatherby rifle that's got our logo engraved on it it's you know an outfitter series vanguard it comes with that table so check those out there's all kinds of different options um all the way down to just singles tickets and couples tickets so there's still some of that stuff available but make sure you get it early so you don't lose out and don't get to make it so it should be a blast we'll have plenty of different prizes everything from firearms to artwork to a flamethrower to clear your driveway with to just random hunting stuff um it'll just be a blast out there and we always have a good time raise a bunch of money for mule deer and get good things done for the next year now also at this year's event there's a a special beer that was made that is all about mule deer and and really helping out there too yeah wild west brewing in powell wyoming and Cody, Wyoming, they brewed a special mule deer German Pilsner for us, and they're releasing it statewide at all kinds of different liquor and alcohol stores. So just ask if they don't have it in your store if they can get it. But it's mule deer German uh, Pilsner, and it's great, and they're going to have it at that event. They'll have it on draft at that event, and you can buy cups at the event to get that beer there too and try it out. It's actually been one of their number one sellers up here in Powell and Cody and strictly by flavor so you know it's a great beer so i think everyone will enjoy it and the nice thing is every time you drink one wild west is donating a significant portion to us and they did such a great job they even got like the all the ingredients basically underwritten um from different organizations that help them out so like the yeast companies the malt companies all those companies and the grain companies gave them special deals so they could make more money for us on this project so it's a pretty cool partnership. They've already brewed 30 barrels, and they're starting on more since it's going so well. So we'll keep it rolling as long as people out there enjoy it and want to help mule deer. That is awesome. Make sure to make plans January 27th at the hangar. 
Get over to the uh, Facebook page. Just search for MDF Wyoming, and you can get all the information you need there. And Sean, we appreciate it, and uh, look forward to seeing you here in Casper in a couple weeks. Yeah, and, and if you don't find it on the Facebook page, you can always go to muledeer.org slash Wyoming. That's muledeer.org slash Wyoming, and just click on the Casper event there, and you'll get ticket link there as well. Awesome. Very good. Thanks, sir. Thank you very much. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. My name is Drew, and I'd love for you to go over to the radio station's app and click On Demand to listen to our past episodes. Today, we continue the show with Pete Matson. Pete with Bighorn Pack Llamas, as well as Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, they're a nonprofit sportsman looking out for sportsmen. We'll talk more about that in just a bit. Now, Pete, with the pack llamas, were you busy during the hunting season this year? Uh, not so much. We kind of ran into a snafu at the uh, guiding outfitters board, so that cut our cut the hunting business off at the knees there for a bit. But uh, we did have some stuff over the summer, so that we're looking forward to next year. We're going to switch things up and be able to offer a lot more people a lot more service, I guess. What What was the uh, the snafu? We have federal permits to operate on the federal land, and uh, we've had those for several years now. And uh, when I was first starting out, I reached out to the Guide and Outfitters Board, let them know what I was doing. They said, you know, as long as I wasn't guiding or taking taking part in any of the big game hunting, you know, I didn't need a guide or an outfitter's license. So I was operating under the assumption we were all good, and uh, we were good. Uh, according to our permits again on the federal land and everything so um turns out that in the statute they decided this year or last year that uh we weren't allowed to do any draft camps related to big game hunting um but anything other than big game hunting we could still do and uh same with the pack outs even though we're just carrying meat and no hunting related gear uh that constituted as uh they include packing in that statute so that constituted big game packing so uh, we, we halted all that activity and uh, we're going to start offering rentals. So rather than be restricted to where we can get our permits, which is pretty restrictive, uh, just on availability, you know, service days on the forests and everything uh, with the rentals, folks can take them wherever they want in Wyoming and for almost as long as they want and uh, kind of go wherever they want with them and, and not be restricted by our restrictions as the company. So as the, the rental part would be, so you would just rent the llamas to Joe Schmo and you'll deliver them and then they get them and take care of them for three or four days or do you stay with them? Yeah, no, the rentals, it's all on them. So they, they'll, uh, we can deliver on private land, but, um, again, we're restricted by the permits on where we can deliver the llamas. So most folks will come to the ranch and pick up the llamas and the llama packing gear. And we're also doing, uh, camp gear rentals so they can take a wall tent and a stove and cots and sleeping bags everything they'd need to get out there and enjoy a good hunt uh, take that with them and enjoy it for three four five seven days however long they'd like and then bring it all back when they're done so there's a little bit of uh, education beforehand uh, especially for the folks who haven't rented llamas and aren't familiar with livestock but luckily that's where the llamas come in they're a lot easier to learn and handle with than uh, some of the other uh, packing options out there so there'll be a, an online course that they complete before they show up on the ranch and then kind of like a checkout test where we just go ev- through everything make sure everybody understands how the equipment works you know how the llamas are going to act and then uh, send them on their way 
So really, it, it, it's the same concept. They are just responsible now for uh, getting in, getting out. Yeah, exactly. So, and because of that, they, you know, they determine where they can go. Um, they can go to the Bighorns, the Sierras. They can go out west to the Wyoming Range, the Absorcas, the Wind Rivers, anywhere in Wyoming. And, and that's the restriction we place is don't leave the state with our llamas without letting us know. Uh, <laughs> you'll run into some legal issues if potentially if you get pulled over. So, um, but no, it, it gives folks a lot more opportunity to get out and go where they want to go. It's really interesting how if I take the llamas for personal use, rent them from you, that's fine, but you can't bring those llamas out there to help me because then that's considered to be guiding service. Correct. Yeah. Even if, you know, I don't touch anything and I'm there with the llamas that, that, uh, if you're, if you are big game hunting, not even me or, you know, anything like that, uh, that falls under that statute that the, uh, Wyoming, uh, outfitters and guides association has set into place and, uh, are willing to defend. So, well, like they always say better safe than sorry. Right. Right. Pete. Now, uh, how did the, the rest of the year go last year? I know you were busy through the summer and the, the fall and the spring with day camps and, and hikes. Uh, everything went really well, actually. Um, the llamas did really good. We had two new llamas coming out with us this year as three-year-olds, so they were carrying half weight, but they did really good. Uh, the veterans did really well. Um, got to introduce some some folks to the llamas and and let them see what it's all about and, and get them out to enjoy the outdoors. And so it, uh, it was a good year for us despite that snafu. And yeah, we're making a pivot now, but I actually think it's going to be uh, really beneficial for us and our customers. Do you uh, have pretty high hopes for the next couple of years? You know, you, you said you had some young ones out this year, and as they start growing, are you going to add to the pack even more? Yeah, yeah. So on the uh, opposite, kind of the ranching side of the llama business, uh, we had a semi-successful breeding season. We didn't have as many Korea as we were hoping for, but we had several llamas hit the ground as uh, newborns on the ranch, which was pretty exciting really excited about some of those llamas. They've got really good pedigrees and are, you know, probably going to be pretty phenomenal packers. So we've got several llamas coming up through the ranks and um, have been producing some. We're able to sell one actually just last week, um, the one male we had. So he was looking really good. And so, yeah, we're offering that as well. And, th and that will be part of uh, the future moving forward is not only breeding and training our own pack llamas, but breeding and training llamas for uh, other folks to buy after they've rented and, and seen how awesome they are. Yeah. Do you, do you get a lot of repeat folks coming out and saying, Hey, this was an awesome experience. I want to do this again. You know, can we have a, maybe a, a bigger experience this time? Yeah. So um, I, look, I got a lot of friends in the industry who uh, the rental llama thing is, is nothing new. A lot of folks who have pack llamas have been renting, you know, since the late eighties and um, that's kind of their bread and butter. So our original plan was somewhat different in that we were trying to do the pack outs and things by ourselves, but uh, the rental thing is not new to the llama world. And a lot of those folks are operating strictly on return customers. So um, we're expecting to kind of, uh, not steal business, but share some of that business. Um, a lot of the outfitters I know that are renting llamas are booked out uh, sometimes years in advance, um, strictly because they're just rebooking to repeat customers who treat the llamas well and, um, you know, they have a rapport with. So we get a lot of references. Um, 
from other outfitters for the llama rentals. And so, yeah, there's a lot of folks, once once you use them, you usually don't stop using them. You, you try and use them again the next year. Yeah, especially when you have a, a good experience. Boy, it saves your back to not have to pack that meat out like that. Yes, yeah, and, and the, that's a big part of it. And then the other part is on the front end, you know, being airy, able to carry in the creature comfort, sleeping on a cot, eating hot meals, having the stove in the tent. You know, if you pack all that stuff in with you, it just makes the entire hunt a lot more enjoyable. But, you know, you, you don't get so drained by the end of it and then have to face a, yeah. a pack out with a bunch of weight and many miles and uh, put that on your knees and your back. And the llamas are just there to do it. You know, um, we'll have to get you out with them just so you can see for yourself. But it's uh, surprisingly simple and easy to pack with llamas. And so that's why the, the rentals are even an option in the first place. Interesting. It, it sure is. Uh, Pete Matson, bighornpacklamas.com is where you can go to get the process started, find out how you can rent them next year, or maybe this summer uh, get out and do a, a day hike or a pack trip with the, the llamas. And Pete, not only are you involved there with uh, your own company, but you're a big part of the Wyoming Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And how have things been going uh, with that organization? Yeah, uh, things have been going really well. Um, we're still kind of riding the curtails of this corner crossing issue, mostly. Um, that's taken up quite a bit of our time and effort over the last few years. But uh, we've been beating that horse, beat it to death, I think, but it won't die. So uh, it's in the appeals process. We should have an answer hopefully next summer. But um, things are looking very, very promising on that front. Interesting to hear some some stories from this hunting season and the opportunities that uh, some were granted and took advantage of. So that's that's been one of the major issues. But uh, several land transfer stuff has popped up. The the Kelly parcel, one of them, um, a state section that was potentially going to be placed up for auction to the highest bidder. That was actually um, right up against Grand Teton and had the intention of always being transferred to the park. So we were able to put that on hold for the time being. Um, so we've got our eyes on some issues like that. Um, the biggest issue right now that I've become more and more aware of uh, recently is this the auxiliary hunting that's going in on some of these uh, areas that are over objective for elk. So that's something a lot of folks are going to want to start paying attention to if you care at all about elk hunting in Wyoming. It's, it's no new news that uh, the elk are viewed as a problem by some folks, um, and they certainly have issues with them. But the uh, Ideas to address these issues are, are frankly pretty scary. Um, we've got co-chairs on a commission, the Ag Commission, or I'm sorry, the Ag Committee, who is suggesting at one point the aerial gunning of elk and leaving them for the coyotes to eat. Oh, man. Uh, we had two guys get paid uh, over $20,000 to kill 129 elk in Area 6, and they actually used a state track vehicle to do it. Um, so these are things that, that a lot of folks probably aren't aware of. And I think they, if they were aware of, they would be, uh, pretty upset about. So, um, that's what BHA is, is all about. Unfortunately, I had no idea I'd have to get involved with politics and policy as much as I am now, but, um, that's what BHA is there for is to kind of keep an eye and an ear on, on these issues and, and help bring them to, to the public's eye and view and, I uh, certainly don't have to be a member to start paying attention to some of these issues, but it does help, you know, um, the newsletters, the petitions we send out, um, the events in the community that we develop, um, our strength comes in numbers and we want to continue to hunt wild things in wild places. And uh, we're, we're doing everything we can to make sure that, that 
that's not in danger. Uh, how can folks learn more and stay involved with a BHA? Yeah, so we're online. We've got a pretty good online presence. Um, you can always reach out to me. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram through Bighorn Pack Llamas. Um, but Wyoming BHA has an Instagram and a Facebook. Um, you can always find us online at backcountryhuntersandanglers.org. Um, Wyoming's got our own little subpage on there as well. Like I said, we're, we're going to have some events coming up here in the spring and summer once this cold weather passes. And uh, feel free to come on out and, and find out what it's all about. You know, it's a grassroots organization. It's made up of guys and, and, and women, plenty of women and uh, all kinds of folks um, who are just like me and you and the everyday hunter who wants to get out and enjoy our public lands and, and water. So. Yeah, it's a pretty cool organization. Make sure you, you check that out and check out Bighorn Pack Llamas. And Pete, it's always good to talk to you. And uh, I look forward to getting out and hanging with the llamas this spring. Yeah, we're going to make that happen. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. All right, thanks. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. We appreciate you listening and appreciate you going and listening to all of our other episodes. All you have to do is go to the On Demand button in our station's app, and you can listen that way. We'll talk to you next week on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.